This morning we are reading from Mark chapter four, verses 35 through 41. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind him, they took with him them in the boat, just as he was. Other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care about us? He woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a dead calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, who then is this that the wind and the sea obey him? The word of God. You may be seated. Over the last week, we have been journeying through a sermon series entitled Own It, and Pastor Icky has been talking about the importance of owning our faith, owning our hardships, and for our 100-year celebration, we talked about the importance of owning our history. Last week, Pastor Raywin talked about owning our power, and today we are going to continue with the P words and talk about owning our peace. I think it's kind of ironic that I'm preaching on peace this morning as I'm not feeling very peaceful in this moment, but I'm sure as we continue to study together, we will hopefully all feel that peace. Now, in order to create a little more peace in the hearts of our kiddos this morning, I know and understand that it's not always the most exciting thing to come and listen to somebody speak up here for a little while. And I know that sometimes it's not as peaceful for the parents to have that as well. And so we want to give a little peace to everyone this morning and invite our kids up to grab a coloring sheet that we have here on the screen and we have in person. One of my friends in Minnesota drew this coloring sheet Andy Iverson, um, regarding today's topic. And so it's a little coloring sheet can, and that says peace in some weird, fun words. And so we want to invite those kids in the audience to come forward. We have those coloring sheets and crayons. So if you're in the balconies or in the back of the room or over here, we invite you to come on up, grab a coloring sheet. And if you really love this art, um, he has a whole bunch of other coloring sheets as well. But this is just a fun way to us, for us to interact together and to remember the importance of peace, not only in our hearts, but also during church as well. So I hope you guys enjoy that. As we are figuring out and grabbing our coloring sheets and our coloring crayons to enjoy this peaceful moment together, I want you in the audience to close your eyes and think of a time in where you have experienced peace. Now, maybe peace has been experienced just a few moments ago as we began worship together. Maybe the last time you experienced peace was earlier this week when you dropped your kids off at school after a really stressful morning. 
Maybe peace has come to you after a big presentation at school or at work, or maybe after a big test at school. Maybe peace has been given to you unexpectedly by a, by a bonus at work or an unexpected fund that came in the meal. Or maybe you're sitting here closing your eyes saying, Pastor Elizabeth, I truthfully don't remember the last time I experienced peace. I don't know what that feels like. And you know what? Whether you are experiencing peace earlier this week or haven't felt it in a long time, I want you to know that as we study together, the desire is for us to experience peace together, not just individually, but as a body of believers together. Peace is a powerful word and every single person has different experiences with peace. When I think of peace, I think of a specific story that happened when I was in college. I had the honor and privilege of going to Union College in good old Lincoln, Nebraska. And for those of you who know I'm from Oregon, you may be thinking, why are you going to school in Nebraska when you were born and raised in Oregon? Well, let me tell you, the math doesn't add up. I still don't know, I don't get it. All of my friends went to Walla Walla University. Uh, they really missed out with Los Sierra, but they, a lot of them went to Walla Walla University. And I was one of the few that decided not to follow the crowd. And so I found myself on the 11th hour choosing to go to Little Lincoln, Nebraska. And let me tell you, college there was not what I had expected. You see, I had watched all of the movies. <laughs> I had heard all of the stories of what college should look like, right? In fact, the night before I went to Union, I watched a movie called Pitch Perfect that is like centered around the college experience, and that was not what I was going to be experiencing for sure. <laughs> I drove up to Union College, and first of all, I got off the plane. I didn't even have cell service. I was like, what? <laughs> Am I in a foreign land? Why do I not have cell service? But I drove to the college with a paper map in hand because that's the only way we could get there. And I pulled up to the school and all of a sudden I said, where, where is it? And my dad said, I think we just passed it. It was so small. It was one block and boom, we were done. And so I got out of the car after we found the dorm rooms and everything like that, and I remember I went up to the dorm room, and my dad and I are standing in the dorm room, and I said, I'm gonna be really honest with you. This kind of looks like a jail cell. Like, it makes me think of just like, not a happy mood. <laughs> and he's like, I'm sure you can put your designs and color into it and make it fun, but nothing about college was exciting in that moment. I was over it. <laughs> that was not the college I had signed up for. However, after I chose to get a little more involved and engaged in the programs and in campus ministries and a few of the other things, I ended up absolutely loving it. College was the best experience and the best four years I had. And while in college, I made quite a few friends, and that gave me opportunities to go visit their hometowns. Now, because I grew up in Portland, Oregon, um, thanks, going home for Thanksgiving and then coming back a few weeks later for Christmas break wasn't usually the most economical thing. And so I would either stay there at Union College for Thanksgiving, or I would go to a friend's house or stay at Union and celebrate with those there. 
My junior year of college, one of my friends from Kentucky invited me back to their house for Thanksgiving. And so all of their siblings and I piled in their car and we took off on, at the beginning of Thanksgiving break. I was so excited. I had never experienced Kentucky before. All I had heard about was the Kentucky Derby. And so I had really low expectations of what the state was like. But I was excited just to spend time with my friends. And so that entire week, we did all of the fun things. We saw all of the sights, and I got to spend time with my friends. Now, as Thanksgiving Day came, I, my mind kept thinking about all of the things that my family was doing back home. You see, the, when Thanksgiving morning came, I wasn't waking up to the smell of my dad's fresh rolls coming out of the oven. I wasn't preparing to go over to my aunt's house later that night for Thanksgiving dinner. It just was different being at a friend's house. Now, I wanna give you a little more context of my family. I love them dearly, and if they are watching, I want them to know that they are loved dearly by me. But listen, families, we're, we're not normal. We're not subtle, we're not quiet, we're not peaceful, to say the least. My family is loud. And we don't talk at a regular tone. In fact, other people may think that we're yelling at each other, but we're just talking in a normal, normal tone. Also, my family loves their food steaming hot, like so hot that you can't even taste it, like it kind of burns your tongue hot. I don't get it. But every Thanksgiving, after we pray, we sit down at the table, and then automatically everyone stands to go put their food back in the oven or the microwaves. It's just, it's weird. It's a thing that we do. And so this Thanksgiving, while I was at my friend's house, it felt very different. We sat down at the table and we prayed together. People were talking in a normal tone. What was that? What is happening? People weren't talking over each other. People were listening and engaged in conversation. And after we were done, we just took the, took, oh, oh and also the food was hot. It was fine. I could taste it regularly. Everything was great. And after dinner, we put the dishes in the dishwasher and we sat around and just played games. It was the most peaceful Thanksgiving I had ever had. And I told my friend, wow, is this what normal looks like? Is this what peaceful feels like? Because I've never experienced this before. You see, I love my family, but peace comes in different times and moments and different ways for specific people, places, and events. And this morning, we are going to be talking about peace found in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. Now, this story is referred to the story of Jesus calming the storm. And you have probably heard this sermon or this story many, many times. And if you have not, no fear, I want to do something quickly that I like to do when I'm reading scripture, and that is to look at the context. I think that's the most important thing that we can do when we are reading the word of God is to look at the before, the after, and look at the context of what the verse is saying. And so if we look at the verse, and verses beforehand in chapter four, we see that Jesus is out and he is teaching to different people. In fact, we go all the way back to Mark chapter four, verse one, and it says, again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into the boat and sat in the lake while other people were around the shore's water edge. 
He taught many things, many parables, and teaching. And he goes on to teach many different parables, such as the parable of the sower and the lampstand and the parable of the growing seed and the mustard seed. And then we come to this story of Jesus calming the storm. This truly is an incredibly busy day for Jesus. I mean, this is like almost like the Sabbath for Jesus in the fact that he is meeting so many people and he is teaching and he is going on and on and doing all of these wonderful things and the disciples are there with him, following him, interacting with all these different people. And it says later in the verse, as we take a look after this story in chapter five, it says that Jesus still that day has more to do as he's planning to go across the lake and heal somebody, restore a demon-possessed man. And yet despite this busy and chaotic and stressful day and not so peaceful day that Jesus is having, he still takes time to teach his disciples about the importance of peace within the storm. This is not a public sermon that he is giving to the shoreline. This is a sermon that he is giving to his small group of people. And so here we are, we have this storm that is in this body of water that the disciples are stressed and chaotic about. And so this morning, we are going to be talking about two specific areas within this sermon, within the story, the statement that Jesus makes, and two, the response that Jesus is given. And let's make our way through the story together in verse 37. In Mark chapter four, verse 37, it says, and a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling and he was in the stern asleep on a cushion. Now, I wanna pause here really quick and, and talk about, it says, a great windstorm arose. Now, when I read this portion of scripture, my immediate thought was to an in, uh, experience that I had this summer. This summer, I took some time off, and I had what I like to call my eat, pray moment. Now, I didn't fall in love, so I can't call it my eat, pray, love moment, so I call it my eat, pray moment. And during this moment, I took a jump of faith, and I found this group of people on TikTok, and I just wanna preface this by saying you probably shouldn't do this without finding it's legit, but I found this legit group on TikTok of girls who travel together, and so I signed up for a trip, and I went to Ireland with them. And while I was in Ireland, we saw the Cliffs of Moher. And this is just an absolutely breathtaking, just spectacular nature phenomenon that we saw. And so this is me there. And we took some time to explore the cliffs on land. And we took lots of pictures and we hiked around. We walked for hours and we just still didn't see all of the views, but it was absolutely beautiful. And on land, the water looks really peaceful, right? It looks calm. It looks like I could go a little swimming in it, right? Well, the next picture will show you that I'm not so calm on a boat. I am strapped in with my little, my hoodie on, and I'm smiling there, but it was stressful. Let me tell you, the the captain was like, hey guys, it's just a little bit bumpy today, no worries. We did cancel the boat right after you because the waves, but you're going to be perfectly fine. I said, what is this? I'm in Ireland, ooh, and so, We get on this boat and we're having a good time at the dock, 
But as we go out to the water, it starts getting rougher and rougher. And our smiles turn into fear. Now, the experience that I had in Ireland, I know is not even comparison to the experience that we see Jesus having with the disciples here in this boat in Mark. But we still, I still relate to this because it was scary. Because when you're on a boat, you have nothing else to grab onto. You are in the middle of water. And the only thing that can help you is the thing that you are in. And so in Mark chapter 4, verse 37, it says that there were waves that were breaking into the thing that could keep them safe. And so that makes sense why the disciples woke up and said to Jesus, we need your help. But I just also want to stop here for a second and say, I think it's so interesting how scripture is written sometimes because it leaves the funniest little remarks In Mark chapter four, verse 37, it says that he was in the stern asleep. Now, I just wanna say, it says he was not only asleep, but it says he was asleep on a cushion. Mark really put in the work here to make us sure that we had the full visual picture of Jesus all snug in a rug on this cushion. Now, I don't know about you, but I know some of those types of people that no matter what the natural disaster or fire alarm or morning alarm that happens, they will be asleep on their cushion. I don't know if you're one of those people, but I am not. Any little sound, I wake up immediately. But Jesus is asleep. Jesus is fully asleep on this boat that is taking on water. He's not worried at all. Let's continue reading in verse 38 through 41. In Mark chapter 41, uh, 4. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the sea and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? In this moment, Jesus hears the cry of his children. He knows that they are in need. He hears them, their voices, For example, parents in the room, I'm sure you know what the cry of your children sounds like, right? Especially when they're little, when their cry means I'm hungry, or their cry means I need to take a nap, or their cry means take me to my spouse so they can change the dirty diaper. I mean, all these different cries mean different things. And this last week, I had the opportunity to experience one of these cries. You see, my cousin and her son were here this last week, and we had the opportunity of surprising him at Legoland. Now, this was such a fun time because he had been talking about Legoland for for such a long time. And so we blindfolded him all the way up to the entrance and we took the blindfold off and he saw Legoland and he was just so, so excited. 
We had a wonderful day there. We took full advantage of all the things. And I, as, as you know, family, did my duties of, of holding the backpacks as they went on the roller coasters. You see, I take that job very, very seriously because I hold my faith in the Lord, not man-made items. Um, so I don't do roller coasters, I don't do heights, I keep my feet planted on the ground. And so as they went on all these roller coasters and I had such a fun time, I enjoyed seeing the joy that he had. And at the end of the evening, as the park was about to close, he remembered that there was this one roller coaster at the front of the park that he really, really wanted to go on. So as we came up to that roller coaster, we saw that the line was still open for people to go in before the park closed. And so he said, Lizzie, please, can you go on this one for, with, with us? And I said, okay, I think I can do this one. It doesn't look too bad, it doesn't flip you upside down. I think I'm gonna be okay. And so I said, of course, I'll go on this one. So we wade in the line. And surprisingly, the line's pretty long for how, um, for the, the uh, park being closed. And so we're starting to wait in line and, and we're waiting and we're waiting and we're playing and we're laughing around. And all of a sudden, he looks at me and his mom and he says, mom, uh, I have to go to the bathroom. And so my cousin says, okay, here's the situation. The park is closing and if we get out of line now, we can't get back in line. So it's okay if we don't do that, but like, understand that if we get out of line, we can't go back in line. He, he weighs his options, he goes, okay mom, I can wait, no worries, no problem. Okay, we're good. Another 10 minutes goes by, we're standing in line, we're laughing and giggling, and then all of a sudden he gets really, really serious. And he looks up at his mom and he goes, I can't wait. I can't, I can't wait, I gotta go, I gotta go now. And so me and his mom, without even saying a word, grab him and start running down the uh, rows of lines that people are waiting to the exit. Well, we then realize when we get to the exit that it was the entrance. There's no exit on this side. And because the park is closing, the gates are locked. They are closed and they're pretty high gates too. And so he is standing there and he goes, mom, and he starts crying and he starts impatiently because he needs to go to the bathroom and he starts yelling and he starts saying, mom, what are we gonna do? And so in his anxiousness, he jumps over the fence and we're just standing on the side going, what, what do we do? And he's on the other side now really anxious. He goes, mom, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. And so I get down on my knees and hands and I say, Katie, use my back as a, as a stepping stool. And she goes, no, I can't do that. And so we, we figure something out and I push her up and she finally gets enough momentum where she makes it over the fence and they start running. Now, I'm on the other side of the fence still. <laughs> the person who didn't necessarily wanna go on the roller coaster. And so the only way out, I'm told by the worker, is that I have to go on the ride because the exit's on the other side. <laughs> yeah, so I go on this ride. I'm fine, it's all right, it's not my favorite thing ever. Um, but I go on this ride and because it's the end of the night, they say, let's go around one more time. <laughs> 
As I'm sitting there, I'm like, all right, good. Two times we're done. This kid in front of me, bless his heart, he goes, one more time. I said, no, they're not going to listen to him. And sure enough, they do. And so it goes around, one more time. And so there I am by the end of the roller coaster, finally making it to the exit to meet my cousin and her son. And he's fine, and he's happy, and he's joyful, but I'm a little queasy and sick. (laughs) But see, the point is not that I got to ride a roller coaster that I didn't want to ride. The point is, is that his mother heard his cry and immediately knew what to do next. In this moment, Jesus hears the cry of his children, and even though he knows that there is no need for them to fear, he still gives them what they need and desire immediately. Jesus gets up without hesitation, without question, without contemplation, without uh, pressing on them or anything like that. Jesus answers their cry. Now remember, Jesus said to his disciples and not only to those who were on the water earlier that day, you see there was a caravan of people following Jesus as well. And so when Jesus spoke these words, peace be still, he was not only speaking these words for the people in the boat, but he was also speaking these words to the people outside the boat as well. And I mean, quite frankly, I'm sure that the other boats, there were other boats on the lake that weren't even associated with Jesus as well, that were fearful of this storm that was there. You see, Jesus's peace is meant for all people. So Jesus's peace is extended to not only the people who woke him up, not, not only the people who were in the boat, not even the people who were following him, but all the people who were around on the water were given that immediate peace. Peace is given to all. And I think sometimes in our human nature within religion, we can sometimes do put on restrictions on the who, what, when, where, and why. But Jesus is saying in this moment, I recognize your need, I hear your distress, and because you are a child of mine, I've come to answer your call. I think sometimes we forget this. And, but yet Jesus takes a moment and says, peace, be still, I recognize your need. One of the beautiful things that we believe is that scripture is, and the word of God is a living word, meaning that the peace that Jesus is speaking here is not only one that was for those people in that moment of time, but this peace that he is speaking is true and living today in our lives. That Jesus' peace is speaking for those people who are not only on the boat, but those people who are in our world today. The words peace, be still, is just as active today in our world, in in every situation situation, person, culture, religion, gender, age, and political view. Jesus is not speaking not only to them, but he is speaking to us. Peace, be still. He's offering this opportunity for us to be still with him. Mark Mark chapter 4, verses 40 through 41 say, he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and they said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So we saw Jesus's response to them by saying, peace be still. And now we see the response that is given back to Jesus, or Jesus is giving to them, why are you so afraid? 
He says, why are you so afraid? You, still, you have still no faith. When I was in seventh grade, I tried out for the basketball team. Now, you're not laughing or anything like that because you don't know me, but all of my friends laughed at me. Even my parents kind of did a little bit of chuckle when I said I was going out for the basketball team because I wasn't a sports person. I played volleyball a little bit, but outside of that, I was not into any other sport. But my seventh grade year, one of my best friends, her dad and a couple of the other um, parents in my grade got together and said, we're going to create a basketball league for, for these kids. And everyone who signs up will get an award. No matter how hard they play, they're all going to get an award. And that's right there what got me to sign up for basketball. You see, all my friends had these awards for sports, and I did not. And I wanted an award. And you know what? To this day, I still have it. But that's not the point. <laughs> the point is, is that I signed up for basketball and I tried my hardest. I worked really hard that season to warm up that bench. It was just, I worked really, really, really hard. And in practices, we would practice even harder and I would try my best to get the hoops and I would try my best to do what I could. But one of the things I had a really hard time grasping was this idea that they switched after halftime. I could never get it. I still don't get it. I don't, is this for the advantage? I don't think there's an advantage. But that's, I digress. So every practice, the coach would tell me again and again and again, Elizabeth, we switch after the halftime. Okay, okay, I get it. So one game we had, um, the game went really, really well in the first half, and at halftime, the coach said, all right, we're in a very significant lead, and so Elizabeth, why don't you come and play? I said, all right, I was ready. I got ready, I was like, okay, I'm gonna play my hardest, I probably won't get the ball, but I'll still give my 100%. And so I started in the game, and I started playing, and all of a sudden, somebody threw me the ball, and I started dribbling. And I thought, wow, this is actually pretty easy. I got this. And I started dribbling down the court, and it felt like everyone was cheering my name. It felt like nobody was behind me. And I got close to the basket, and I put my hand up, and I pushed to make the hoop and missed. And I looked behind me, and there was nobody there. The team was on the other side of the court, and the coaches were saying, wrong way! You see, I've been told many times over and over that after, at halftime, we switch. I was told many, many, many times, and yet I forgot. And see, in Mark chapter four, we see that the disciples are told once again, why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? I mean, it wasn't until chapter three that we see that the disciples were put together as the 12. And, but before then, they saw that Jesus healed. They saw some of the miracles. They saw the teachings that Jesus taught. And they were told over and over again that this is the Savior of the world. They, they knew what Jesus was capable of. And yet in this moment, they kept thinking. They kept saying, what? they kept crying out to Jesus for help. And Jesus is saying, why are you so afraid? I told you again and again and again who I am. And this question that Jesus is asking kind of blows my mind. 
because I think we do the same thing in our lives, is even though Jesus has told us again and again and again that he is there and that he is present, and we hear it in sermons and Sabbath schools that he is there, that he is offering us peace, we often forget and we don't fully grasp who we're talking to, who we're crying at to. And so the disciples respond on autopilot, they react with fear, and they are taking their actions of comfort of what they understand, and yet not with what they have been told time and time again. You see, my friends, despite being told time and time again that we serve a God who seeks to answer our cries, a God who desires to walk along with us, a God who speaks stillness and peacefulness into our world and our hearts and our minds, we often forget taking the stillness and peace into our own minds. And when we do that, quite frankly, it usually feels like a boat that is taking on water. How can we collectively, not only as individually, but as a body of believers come together and understand and own our peace? How can we own our peace together? I was a junior in high school when I felt like I had lost this sense of hope and peace. You see, I remember coming home from school every single day and immediately going upstairs to my room and going to sleep. I would have a few extracurricular activities and things of that sort, but as soon as I came home, I would go upstairs to my room and I would go straight to sleep. And after that, my parents would call for dinner time and I would go down for dinner and then I would go back up and go back to sleep until it was ready for school the next morning. This was a constant cycle that I had in my life uh, for quite a few weeks. And after this happening for a, quite a few months, I started Googling things on my iPod. Yes, I had an iPod. Um, and I said, why am I so sad? Why am I sleeping so much? And of course, the first thing that popped up when I searched this was that I had depression. So I Googled, what's depression? Why is this affecting me? Why do I have it? As a junior in high school, that's a really heavy concept sometimes to understand, even as adults, let alone a teenager, going through all of the things. And so I did this, I continued to go on this regimen of sleeping when I came home, and I just lost joy in so many aspects of my life. When finally it all came to a head in which I was so overwhelmed <laughs> that I just didn't wanna do things anymore. I didn't wanna continue with this life or anything like that, and so I had created this plan, and in the midst of, of moving forward in that, I heard my mom call up the stairs, hey, Elizabeth, I'm just checking on you. This was a brand new thing, she had never checked on me before, but that day, something had happened at school where it just really felt like everything was too much. And in the midst of, of ending it all, my mom called up and her voice, her simple voice of just checking up on me made me feel as if God was saying, be still, peace and know that I am there. You see, my friends, we live in a society that despite being stressful and overwhelmed and always going, we live in a society that forgets to pause and to be still. 
We serve a savior that despite the desires to speak peace and stillness into our lives and at points and where we feel like life is crumbling down, he is there to speak the words, peace be still. I wanna preface this by saying that sometimes when we, when we desire his speak, it, his peace, it won't always turn out perfect. In fact, in the story, when he says, peace be still, they still have a broken boat. They still have water in the boat. They still have things to fix. But the story in Mark 5 says that they got to the other side. Peace be still. They still had work to do, yet they made it to the other side. And I think this is a beautiful picture of what Jesus is saying to us. I'm journeying with you. I might not always be easy, but I'm here with you. I'm speaking peace and stillness in your storm, no matter where you are. So whether you are currently on the mountaintop of life, or maybe you're finding yourself in the shadow of the valley of death, I hope you can hear the words that our Jesus is saying and speaking, peace be still.